Well, I am American. And uh, <laughs> it's funny because I, uh, you know, I grew up in a missions. My parents are both full-time medical missionaries. And, and when we started <coughs> making, ma- making albums and different things, I, I was, you know, kind of like, yeah, it's just kind of a thing we did. And, and then the Lord really convicted me. He's like, no, that's like a big deal. Like, what you're doing is a big deal, you know? It's like, whether it's a book or an album or whatever, you're, like, giving birth to something you've invested so much of your time into. And uh, what we started to notice is the Lord was able to use things like that to see our missions explode around the world. So, buy her book. It's amazing. And buy all of this. And, uh, you know, I shamelessly promote this because I know what we do with this money. And we are able to do incredible things around the world. Plus, I just believe, you know, this, this is a new season for new sounds. Um, you know, we have two new albums. One, this is the Victory album that we just released, Bethel Music, last week. Uh, really, I, I've kind of been running around this week with this paper. I went to the warehouse, um, our warehouse, to just grab some. I'm really old school. I know everyone's on Spotify and, you know, and, and uh, Apple Music, but I just love old school. Like, I love to hold it. I, I don't have a digital Bible. I carry multiple copies of the Bible around with me. It makes my bags very heavy, but I just, fe- I just love to feel it. And so the cool thing about both of these albums, this is the new Bethel Music album, and then this is my new project that was released two months ago is the inserts of the pages are all like have all prophetic words and 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 just man just holding them releases stuff the the cover of this one which I love so much is all newspaper articles from our local community and everywhere we've walked through some intense stuff in the last season we walked through uh, two of the biggest wildfires in American history have happened right in our town and uh, so some of you guys have probably heard about that, the fires in Northern California. We walked through that as a community. We had um, the leader of our, um, of uh, the CEO of Bethel Music's uh, son almost died from a crazy disease uh, last year. And he was clinging on to life. And we were taking shifts as worship leaders, going to the hospital and playing there as he was hooked up to all the machines. So we've really reached a season of breakthrough. And what I have to share this morning to you is really kind of all good news. You guys are right with that? Good news. You know, I've been holding up this newspaper. When I was going to the warehouse to pick up the CDs, we had a bunch of these printed. And I felt like the Lord said, when you go to the UK, as a prophetic act, you just need to be throwing these all over the streets of the, of of London, all over the streets of Bedford, all over the streets of the cities, that that the body of Christ would come awake and alive to the season of victory that they're living in. And as I was, you know, I feel like this morning I'm going to do a couple different things and then we're all going to get completely overjoyed and we're just going to be mad, happy Christians when we leave this place. But I feel like that there's a shift that's taking place in this church. I feel like it's taking place in this nation. Some of you guys are familiar with, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the wells that we've been digging across the U.K. with the Burn 24-7 movement. We have some of our leaders here. Why don't you guys stand up? These guys, these are amazing. 
champions of worship and prayer. Uh, I, th- I believe we have over 30 furnaces of worship and prayer that we've planted all across the UK. And these guys are in the trenches, man. They're mobilizing their local communities to worship, to pray. They're gathering churches. They're, you know, meeting with pastors. They're fighting for the unity of the body of Christ to come together. And then they're also doing incredible missions and outreach too. And so we are seeing the landscape of the nation change. We're, you know, we also have have an event that we do every year called David's Tent. You guys may be familiar with that. The first couple of years, we kind of got laughed at. We got mocked. We got called all kind of weird stuff. And, uh, you know, everything from this is some weird cult to this is an American thing, which I was like, yeah, day and night worship is not an American thing. <laughs> it's a Bible thing. It's actually how the church was birthed in, in Acts chapter 2. Uh, but actually what's really cool is that it, we've seen as we've kind of continued that expression, 72 hours of insane worship under a tent out in Sussex. You know, we crank it up really loud. We don't stop for three days. And um, we have seen even that be begin to shift the the, the climate across the nation. We've seen God really uh, rearrange perspectives, theologies. We've seen songs and, and, and things being birthed from that. And I think we even last, last year, we got like an official welcome from the Queen of England. It's pretty cool. Uh, after the first year getting mocked and like laughed at, now it's like now we're legit, you know. So... Um, but I felt like this weekend on the heels, and, and by the way, we're just such a small sliver like of what the Lord's doing, and I love having Pete here uh, this weekend, Pete Gregg, such a hero and a legend, and I'm, hopefully I'll get a chance to go into a little bit of the prophetic history of the prayer and worship movement and what's brought us to where we are today. Um, but I do believe that we're seeing the fulfillment of our dreams. I do believe we are seeing God, the faithfulness of God and his promises over this nation and over the earth come to pass. And, you know, I, uh, I was, you know, praying and, and this weekend I was just so marked in this room by the hunger and the passion for the presence of God. And you know, and I know that this church, you guys are a worshiping bunch. I know you, you drink the worship Kool-Aid. You're all about it. You press in. But I felt like even this weekend was just such an increase. It was like it didn't matter. The session didn't matter who was leading. didn't matter what song we were in. People were just all in. They were pressing into God. They were laying prostrate. They were crying out. And I was meeting with some of the worship team guys in the back. And it was like, you know, got, got here early this morning for the first service. And no one has a voice. And everyone's fingers hurt. And everyone's trying to like, you know, we're high on espresso and the Holy Ghost. You know, it's a mixture of the two. Paul said, I don't know if I'm in the body or out of the body. That's kind of what we feel like. But I felt like this weekend was one big, massive, just pouring out our guts at the feet of Jesus. I felt like he's pleased. I feel like there's an impartation uh, for us this morning. Even those of you that weren't here, I feel like there's something for you to receive. There is a residue Anybody feel a residue? Like you're walking into an atmosphere that's been charged for three days. And, um, and I was really marked, I think, one of the biggest shifts that I see happening in the nation as well as, 
you know, across the Western church is a, 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 a paradigm shift from coming to church, coming to events, coming to conferences, and, and your mindset is, what can I get? How can I make church the way I like it? Where it's a very different perspective than a lot of the rest of the world. The thing that I begin to realize, and this is what I'm talking about, the shift that's happening is us gathering with this consumeristic mentality. What can I get, 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 get? I like the sermon. I don't like the sermon. I like the worship leader. I don't like the worship leader. I don't like that song. I'm not going to worship if it's not a song I like. We're shifting from that weird mentality into a mentality instead of what can I get, we're saying what can we give. And this weekend, we poured out our guts at the feet of Jesus. We poured out our finest, and I was so moved. Sure, the sermons are great. The words were amazing. There were some funny jokes, classic British. It was great. But I was moved and marked by people lavishing their finest at his feet. And I feel like that this season is marked for extravagant worship. This church is marked for extravagant worship. You guys are going to redefine what church looks like in Bedford. You're going to redefine what church looks like in England. Instead of coming with all of these preconditions, we're just going to go, oh, we're so excited we get to give everything to them again. The first chord, boom, here we are. You know, and I feel like there's a marked increase. I want to prophesy that into the atmosphere that from this point forward, 2019 is a year of extravagant worship and adoration. Where you guys, your church, and all your cute little sermons will get hijacked with extravagant worship. We're no longer coming to gather around the pulpit of a gifted minister. We're coming to gather around the throne room of Almighty God. And just like the elders and the angels and the four living creatures, we're going to get marked by his beauty. And our faces are going to get shiny again. We're going to become the happy Christians we're always meant to be. <laughs> you know, I love, I love good theology and I love and I have all the degrees and da-da-da-da-da and I've written books and blah-blah-blah. But the thing is, is I want to be a walking advertisement of the joy of the Lord. I want to carry, like, you know, I look at guys like Billy Graham, you know, when he just passed away. Eugene Peterson, he just passed away. These guys at the end of their life, they were like happy. <laughs> Would you believe it? <laughs> They've been working in the church their whole life and they were really happy at the end of their life. And I'm like, I was talking to my friend Brooke Ledgerwood. We were singing her song today and we're really, really close, me and her family. And we're like, what are our goals, you know? And our goals have changed from like, we want to write this worship song that covers the earth to like, we just want to be happy when we're old. We just want our kids to like want to come back home because we're happy in love with Jesus. And I just feel like God is going to make you, like as you experience deeper levels of extravagant worship, he's going to make you really happy people. And the joy of the Lord is going to be all over your marriages and all over your families. Did you know my kids, throw up a picture of my kids. I, I, I bought this for you guys. My children absolutely love church. Can you believe it? A couple of them, it took a while, you know. They love, they love church. This is my kids. I have four. Pretty intense. Uh, this is Katura, my eight-year-old. 
This is Ezra. He's four years old. He's just wild. This is Malachi, our model son. He's six. He uh, had a second basketball game yesterday. He scored uh, three baskets. Uh, he, I was preaching about this earlier. He's convinced he's going to be Michael Jordan. And I told him it's going to happen. He doesn't realize he doesn't have the genetics for it yet, but doesn't matter. This is uh, Zion, our newest addition. And he is about eight months old, and he is a very massive baby. <laughs> he is 98th percentile in weight and height. He's literally a monster. It's crazy. But he's very happy. And his first ever stamp in his passport was in August in the UK. So he's got some inheritance here. But, you know, I, I love revival. I'm going to preach about the end time move of God, the apostolic domination of Jesus of planet Earth. That's my favorite subject ever. But my family is in love with Jesus. They love church. They love watching God move. And sure, we go through all the normal stuff that families do, and we travel, you know, around the world as well. And, you know, they have meltdowns. They freak out. We need to use iPads. Like, we're normal, right? We're normal people. But I am seeing that in my life, as we pursue the presence of God together, that we're doing it as a family, that God is marking the lives of my kids. And it's because we're passionate about the presence. We're passionate about worship. We want to see them encounter Jesus for themselves. And I just, you know, this move of God that, that, that's coming on the earth, you know, this, this, this surge of worship, this surge of, 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 of this foundation that God is laying. And even as I'm reading that, I just want you to turn to the book of Ezra. I just want to speak this. I didn't do it in the first service. Don't tell him. But I'm going to do it in the second. At Ezra 3, I want to just prophesy something over this church. Can I do that? I only get to come here once a year, so just deal with it, okay? I'm going to prophesy something over this church and over your families and over this season. It's 2019, in case you're wondering. It's a new year. No, it is not a year unlike any other. No, it is just not another day. No, it is just not another week. God is doing something new, something specific, something fresh, it talks in First Chronicles about the sons of Issachar that were pro prophetic, a prophetic tribe that understood the times and seasons. One of the biggest things the enemy wants to do is cloud over our ability to discern what God is doing. He wants us to buy into the noise buy into the anxiety. So many Christians, you know, when we, when we did that, we did an 11-city tour across the UK in October. It was our largest, Bethel Music's largest ever international tour. We were told before we went, you know, let's just do the hits. Just do the hits. People will love it. There's people from all different kind of churches. Don't be too intense. Just be nice. Make sure the Anglicans like it and the Methodists like it and give the charismatic people just enough spontaneous stuff to where they like it. And I, I just got together with a team, and these were some of the UK promoters and some of the, you know, people that were saying this. And I'm like, forget that. I'm like, we're going after revival. I'm like, the history in this nation is too deep. I said, we're going to be crazy. 
Like, I don't care. We are going to rock. We are going to. And so I determined, like, every single night we're going to go after souls. Every single night we're going to go after healing and breakthrough. We're going to go after deliverance. Some of the things the Lord gave me was specifically anxiety and heaviness, those demonic powers. We're going to be broken over people. And uh, we saw in 11 cities 1,200 salvations. 1,200 salvations in your nation. Like in your backyard. And I mean, it was like, and what was amazing is one of the reasons I love churches and communities like this that prioritize the presence, it literally makes everything easy. It's like the oil. It makes everything easy. It makes tithing and generosity easy. I mean, my church is an example. You know, I was sharing, you know, the, the story. We had the, you know, the biggest wildfires in, 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 in uh, American history this last year, and it burned about 1,800 homes in our town. And, you know, during worship one day, the church got super generous and gave $3 million. $3 million. And we got, like, a lot of missions families in our community. It's not like, you know, we're a small agricultural town. You know, $3 million was given so that every person that lost their home in that fire, whether they were Christians, whether they were, went to church, whether or not, every family got a $1,000 check. Every family got to drive up to Bethel, which at that time was, was transitioned into the main city's, uh, you know, outreach. You know, we had the Red Cross there, and we had aid, and we had food, and all this stuff. Every family that lost a home in that tragic wildfire got to drive up the hill to the church, get prayed over with prophetic words, and get handed a $1,000 check. The presence of God, communities hosting the presence, generosity flows. Communities that host the presence of God, uh, breakthrough happens, healing happens. You don't have to try so hard. It just happens. This weekend during worship, people just got healed. Why? Because the presence of God is here. You prioritize that, you get all the goodies. Seek ye first the kingdom, everything will be added. So on the tour, we just worshiped our guts out for, you know, two, three hours every night. When it came time to do a salvation altar call, it took us like two minutes. It's like, have you guys experienced how beautiful Jesus is? Yes. Have you experienced how amazing he is? Yes. Do you feel his presence? Yes. Okay, who wants to quit their lifestyle of sin forever and give their life to Jesus? And every night the altars were packed. This is a new season for this nation. It's one where the presence of God is going forth. It's one where, where, where there's a foundation. I want to just read this. Ezra 3. I just love this verse. Verse 10. So the tabernacle of David that was established, we may get to that verse in a little bit. Tabernacle of David, the prophecy in Amos 9-11 that in the last days, the tabernacle of David will be rebuilt. It'll be restored again. And the purpose of it is so that the rest of humanity can see the Lord. Then after David first established this, you know, David was a, a maniac. It's, it's funny when, <laughs> when I hear um, teachers at times say, you know, we just need to promote a lifestyle of balance. And we just need to promote, you know, that we just need, we don't need to be too crazy. We just need to be just need to be proper. And I'm like, how does David fit into that box? He was a freak. 
You know, the guy that danced in his underwear? You know, the guy that literally emptied the economy of Israel to build in a, a worship and prayer meeting that never stopped? You know, they've, archaeologists are now discovering as they excavate more of the palace of David in, in, this, in the city of David outside of Jerusalem, real time, as they excavate more and more of the foundations of David's palace, not only are they discovering that it's exactly like the Bible said it was, hello, Palestinians for hundreds of years were like, it never existed. It never was there. Then all of a sudden, some guy's out in his garden. Chink. This is about 10 years ago. Chink. He's digging in his garden in the, in, you know, in the city of David. Hits the, one of the massive stones. They uncover it, and it's the steps to David's palace. They excavate, and if you go to Israel today, you can walk those steps. It's insane. But what they're discovering, the more they they excavate, is they're finding musical instruments everywhere. They're finding strings. They're finding musical instruments all around the palace of David. Like, he was obsessed, my friends. It wasn't just like, we like three fast and three slow once a week, and we got our jams. David was like, no, I am obsessed. Worship will never stop. It's in my car. It's in the shower. It's in our house. We, like, it's me. Like, I don't just lead worship as a worship leader because it's what I do. It's who we are as a family. We literally, it never is not going in our house. You know, our kids are never not singing. Sometimes it's annoying a little bit. A couple of them haven't quite found where pitch is yet. It'll come. But it's like, and so, so David established this, and then there was eight times in biblical history where it was rebuilt again. Eight separate times. I'm not talking about modern day. I'm talking about through the history of the Bible. You have eight separate times. One of those times was right here in Ezra 3. We're going to read about. Verse 10, it says, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, You guys got a lot of amazing Levites in this church. Maybe one more amen about that. You got some amazing worship leaders, some amazing musicians, some guys that really love to pour their guts out at the feet of Jesus. And I get to spend a little time with them today. I'm excited. So the the sons of Asaph with symbols took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by King David of Israel. There it is, as prescribed by King David of Israel. Again, thousands of years after, or hundreds of years after. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good, His love towards Israel endures forever. Pulling on those prophetic promises. In a time where they were refugees, in a time where the temple had been destroyed, in a season where it looked hopeless, in a season where Brexit may or may not happen. They were like, you know what? We're going to tune our narrative to a different channel. We're going to shift the radio dial a little bit. We're going to go up a little bit higher and see what the Lord's saying. So they begin to sing out his words. And, you know, I love, one of the things I love about the book of Psalms is I I love about how, and I love about these instances theologically, is they shift their songs, singing about the never-ending ability of God and then singing about his prophetic promises over their nation. 
Paul says it like this. Colossians and Galatians have almost the same verse. It says, sing with songs and spiritual songs in your heart. One verse says to the Lord, the other says to one another. There's a prophetic dimension of the song of the Lord, and there's a priestly dimension of the song of the Lord. There's a vertical dimension where it's just us singing about who God is. It's where authority comes in. And then there is a horizontal dimension of the song of the Lord that prophesies over one another. Can I say that in this season, I believe that this church and community is going to experience both? Where you're going to sing in your heart to the Lord. You're going to describe how beautiful he is just like this morning. And then out of that place, you're going to prophesy over your city. You're going to prophesy over your neighborhood. You're going to prophesy over your nation. You are going to remind everyone else about the words of God and what he's spoken. I just was blown away. It's like you cannot find a city in the United Kingdom that doesn't have some crazy prophetic history of revival. Every nation, every, every city we went to on tour, I was reading out the journal entries of Whitfield or Wesley or Wilberforce, a lot of W's, you know. And I was reading out the words and the promises and the prophecies. Guys, we got to activate those in this season. Amen. God wants to fulfill those promises. So it says that they sang, he is good, his love towards Israel endures forever. And all of the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made such a noise. (laughs) This is intense. And the sound was heard far away. Now, I got this word as I was praying in between services about you have the older generation that remembers the prophecies, that remembers the promises, that, you know, has been holding on to these dreams of God. And I believe we're in a season where God is actually building that foundation. And they're looking at the foundation that was laid, and some of them are going, wow, I cannot believe it's happening. Anybody like that? I cannot believe that in our day and age that it's happening. Pete went through the other day all of the statistics about how people are actually turning to church. They're turning, they're coming back in this season. Don't believe the fake news. (laughs) There's a generation that's hungry for God. They may have at a time rejected a form of religion, but they're hungry for the presence of God. They want to know the reality of God. They want to experience the truth of who God is. So there's an entire generation that's going, an older generation that's going, wow, God, you're doing it. And then there's a younger generation that doesn't even know the, 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 the hours and the hours and the turmoil and the anguish and the tears and the intercession. And they're just happy to be alive. They're like, woo, got my flat white. We're about to worship. Let's go into the chorus, you know. 
And there's a joy. And what I love about this, this multi-generational thing, as God's laying this foundation, it's the wisdom and the prophetic inside of the old, and it's the joy and the exuberance of the young. And you need them both. I love, man, one of my favorite things about David's tent, and I love getting with, like, the old school, just fiery guys, Graham Kendrick and... I love getting, you know, with Martin Smith, you know, just, uh, just as a kid, his, his songs were the soundtrack for me. They gave me language when I was a 16-year-old kid and only knew two chords. Sharing about this the other night, how, like, I only knew two chords and I only had one worship CD and it was cutting-edge delirious. And he was singing these crazy outlandish lyrics, you know. It wasn't like, what a mighty God we serve. It wasn't those songs, which are great. It was like, my heart burns for you. I was like, oh, that's how I feel. You know, and I remember getting around him and, 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 and then getting with his kids and seeing God do this multi-generational connection. We're in a season where there is a multi-generational blessing of worship. It's the old, it's the young. Some are weeping, some are excited, some are filled with joy, and the sound is heard far away. It's going to be a sound that fills the airwaves. It's going to be a, a prophetic sound that awakens a body. I want you to turn one last verse. Acts fifteen sixteen. I wish I had time to just stand up here and share with you testimonies of the nations. I feel like. So many of us are so unaware of the hour that we live in. And because we're not aware of it, we get easily discouraged. We're watching the ticker and the fluctuation of the pound, or the stocks, or the headlines, and we're like, I don't know, I don't know. See, when you plug into a lifestyle and an atmosphere and a community of worship, you don't, <laughs> you don't live according to what's happening down here. I promise you, the crazier the earth begins to shake, and by the way, it is going to shake. It's like, it's funny, all these people come and they give these prophecies over, California's going to have an earthquake. And I'm like, dude, like, that's not prophetic. We live in a fault line, <laughs> Right? It's not, not like, you're not amazing, okay? There's a fault line, and there's tectonic plates, and they shift. Are we going to have an earthquake? Yes. Are we going to have many earthquakes? Probably, right? This is just science. And I think sometimes, like, we don't realize being prophetic is less about us saying things the world's already saying, being prophetic is us being a people that are connected to another dimension, another realm. Being prophetic is us when we have cancer singing that he's a miracle working God, even though we haven't experienced it yet. Being prophetic is pulling in a future reality that has not become present yet. That's what a prophetic people looks like. That's what a worshiping people looks like. And we have an invitation in this season as the people of God to be a prophetic people. The crazier things get, the more happy we get. Because we are connected to a kingdom that will never be shaken. 
I learned this stuff from the early church. You know, I go into these nations, and it's like, I need to go in there more than they need me. They don't need me for anything. I go in there, and I'm always like, you lay your hands on me. You pray for me. I want to be a Christian. I want my faith to be like yours. I want to embrace suffering. I want to worship through the storm. I want to lay my life down. I want to live with sacrifice. Every word, every song doesn't come from a place of convenience. It comes from a place of crazy adoration that I'm willing to even give my life as I sing this chorus to you. And there is a wild, passionate, extravagant, outlandish fire that's going to come in this season on our hearts. And it's going to be real. It's not going to be just emotionalism, and it's not going to be hype. It's going to be the real thing. So Acts 15, let's just read this. I don't have time to go into the whole uh, prophetic history of this. It first appears in, 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 uh, in Amos 9-11 as this great end-time prophecy that has three different dimensions. The first is... In the last days, the greatest worship movement that's ever existed will be on the earth. Boom, it's happening. Turn to someone and say, it's happening. Number two, it says, the greatest missions movement that's ever existed will be happening in the end days. Turn to someone and say, it's happening. Okay, that's math. That's not, prof- that's not a like prophecy. That's statistics. That's 30,000 a day getting saved in China. That's 25,000 a day getting saved in India today. That's, 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 I was joking earlier, the biggest problem in the underground church in Iran right now is they don't have enough swimming pools. That's the biggest problem. They don't have enough pools. I was talking to some underground church leaders that are like, just pray for us. And I was like, okay, what do I pray for? We need more swimming pools. Like, what are you talking about? Everybody wants to get baptized, and we don't have enough places to baptize them. (laughs) Can you imagine, like, (laughs) in your church bulletin? Our number one prayer request is more swimming pools, you know? We are, we, we have to come into an awareness. In Indonesia, every seven seconds, a Muslim gets saved. I mean, these are statistics. This is not debatable. Like, you are living in the greatest revival in the history of the world. Greatest worship movement, 1980s. There was five, six, seven, maybe ten houses of prayers on the earth. 2016, when they did that number, it was approaching 30,000 houses of prayers. It's a lot, right? Crazy, crazy, crazy fulfillment of the word. And then the third part of that, of the Amos 9-11 prophecy, is the restoration of Israel back to their nation, which we are the first generation that's lived in 2,000 years where Israel is back. That's a big deal. I don't have time to go into that one, but that is a very big deal. Okay, Acts 15, it says, this is so good. Turn to someone and say, this is so good. You guys got to, come on, get a little more peppier. Okay, so good. All right, so, so verse 12, this is, this is great. This is, anybody in here not Jewish? <laughs> Lift your hand. Okay, who eats bacon? Raise your hand. <laughs> okay, this is your verse right here. You are Christian. You are welcomed into the family of God because of this verse. (laughs) 
We should be really thankful, okay? The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. <gasps> what? Even the heathens? You don't understand how jaw-dropping this theological moment is. Up until this point, the gospel came first to the Jews. Jesus said first to the Jews. That was his words. Go to the Jews first. And all of a sudden, Paul and Barnabas come back after they're traveling around the earth, and they say, guys, this is weird. The Gentiles are receiving Jesus. And the whole company of Jewish leaders takes a big gasp of air. And they go, what? How is that even possible? And they said when they finished speaking, James spoke up. Thank God for James. We got you, bro. Thanks for helping us out. James, he said, brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon is describing to us how God first intervened, intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. James is saying, hey, listen, let me pull over this prophetic word that many people think is archaic. It's kind of weird. It's for kind of the arty people, for the musician weirdo kind of people. Amos 9-11, all the prayer room people, we don't really understand. They're so strange. That's their thing. James goes, no, no, no. This is the reason why Gentiles can receive Jesus. He pulls over Amos 9-11 into the current day, and he says, after this, verse 16, I'll rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I'll rebuild. I'll restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even the Gentiles, turn to someone and say, even the Gentiles. You know what that means? Even the Brits. <laughs> even the Americans. You know, even, even, even the Europeans, even those, even those. You know, he's saying, and it says, says the Lord, things known long ago. It is, and it, so it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Ding, ding, ding. Thank you. We can love Jesus and eat bacon. <laughs> Otherwise, English breakfast would be, would not work. So my point in sharing all of this, I'm like busting through it so that we, I can release you and pray over you, is this. The presence of God is being made accessible. Through the restoration of the tabernacle of David, the end time prophetic promise, the greatest worship movement, the largest missions movement, the restoration of Israel, it means that God is faithful to his promise. Now every nation, tribe, and tongue can have access to the presence. This is the day that we live in. I mean, I thank God for the restoration of the tabernacle of David, that Gentiles can receive Jesus, that we can experience the presence of God, that we can host his glory, that like this weekend, nobody wanted the worship to stop. We could have just had a worship fest. Forget the preaching. I mean, I love preaching. Forget the theology. I love the theology, but he's the theology. <laughs> I feel like there's so much sometimes in our culture, there's so much just talking, 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 talking. We're trying to convince each other where we should just be like, just look at him. Let's just worship him until all this stuff gets figured out. 
And we spend so much time trying to explain stuff and so little time gazing at who he is. And this is a new day, my friends. Across the UK, again, based on the heels of the last tour, salvations, healings, deliverances. I could have closed my eyes and thought I was in like Southeast Asia. I was that shocked every single night. I'm like, this cannot be the UK. But it was so easy. This is a season for this church where a new, where the water level is rising. Can you feel it? Listen, it's not just about better meetings. It's not just about better church. It's not just about cooler, you know, Christian CDs so we can show everybody in the world how cool we are. It's about us accessing the presence of God 24-7. It's about marriages being restored. It's about families. It's a, you know, we've been singing this song, There's a Name, the whole week, and it's a song that I wrote with some buddies. It's a prophetic anthem about sons and daughters returning back to God. What if this was the year where prodigals actually came home? You know why? Because for a while there, they didn't have a whole lot to re- come home to. Now they are coming home to the presence. They're coming home to the reality of Jesus in our midst, in our churches, in our homes. In our university campuses, our entire tour across the UK, about half of it was on college campuses. There is a buzz on the campuses of the UK. People are worshiping on the campuses. Can you believe it? It's not just the indoctrination of humanistic theology. God is touching university students. This is the season of coming back. This is the season of coming home. It's the season of beholding God. In his fullness. Why don't you just stand? I want to pray over you. On your way out, grab some of these books and CDs. I'm American. Shameless. I am because I know it all goes to missions. So just buy it. Oh, I just feel such excitement from the Holy Spirit over this season for some of you. It's like, you don't have to be convinced of it in this moment because he's convinced of it. You just, you know, need a little bit of faith. I love one of my favorite verses I've just grown to adore. Isaiah 53, where it says, A bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Even Weak faith is real faith to him. Even our little yes doesn't have to be overly charismatic. It can just be, all right, God, I give you room. If you're here with me and you're this morning, you're just like, okay, we're just going to go for this. Whatever that looks like in this year, in our church, in our community, in our family, we're going to believe that this is a day unlike any in history. There's something fresh and new that God is doing. Just lift your hands up, and I want to pray. Lord, what an honor and a privilege, Lord, to get to host you this weekend. I thank you, God, for crashing in on us. I thank you, Jesus, for just your goodness and your kindness to come. 
again and again. I thank you, Lord, that even in our weakness and our frailty and our our best attempts to do something good, Lord, Lord, that you just want our hearts. You just want our surrender. You just want our yes. And Lord, even as it says that the as the foundations were laid in, 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 in Ezra 3, it says, as the foundation were laid, everyone gave up a cheer. This morning, we're going to give up a cheer. We're going to give up a cheer. We're going to give up a cheer from the older generation. We're going to give up a cheer from the younger generation. From a place of faith that we believe the foundation you're laying in this season is going to last for generations. So on the count of three, we're going to give a cheer, like for real. We're going to go out of here. You think you don't have a voice left. Just give a little bit more, right? You guys ready on the count of three? Don't make it like a proper one or a nice one or make it like just a little, little bit, you know, little gritty, little, little wild, okay? On the count of three, let's give a cheer for the season, for the foundation that he's laid one, two, three.